Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the Internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Uh, you can find my – I write a thrice-weekly blog there for uh, Author Magazine. You can check that out if you like the kind of stuff I do in Fearless Writing or Write Within Yourself, uh, my two books. Um, so also, there's a, my current conversation with uh, with Cat uh, Rambo, the science fiction and fantasy writer. There's also a great article by Jennifer Paris about the power of doing nothing. Yes, about doing nothing. It's true. Very helpful for creative people. So check it all out at uh, authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the wonderful Pacific Northwest Writers Association. Uh, They've been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. And uh, they host a conference every year. We had it in September. It was great, naturally. We'll be doing another one next year. And what they do right now is they've got like a, I think they're calling it a flash sale or an early bird sale. I don't know. Uh, But it's a special sale they have going. I should know this, but I don't. But don't worry. If you go to if you go to authormagazine.org, at the top of author, there's a link to uh, there's a link to the PNWA and the sale for the for the conference next September. If you want to sign up early, it's cheaper by about a hundred bucks, and and you get more uh, appointments with agents and editors. What a deal, huh? It is actually. So uh, if you know you're going to go, if you know you're going to go, and a lot of you do know you're going to go, just sign up now. Don't put it off. Just do it now. That's right. That's at pnwa.org, pnwa.org. All right. Well, listen, not much happening with yours truly. There really isn't. Uh, so let's just let's just start talking about our guest, the fascinating Rita Dragonette. She's a, uh, well, she's a writer, but she spent nearly 30 years telling the stories of others as an award-winning public relations executive. But now she's turned her thoughts and her creativity uh, to the to the novel, and she's published her first one, the 14th of September. It's debut, and it's based on her personal experiences on campus during the Vietnam War. Very troubling time. She now lives and writes in Chicago, where she also hosts literary salons to showcase authors and their new books to avid readers. What a woman. Let's meet her. Ah, Rita, how are you doing? Hi, Bill. How are you? Happy to be here and happy to share. Oh, good. Well, I'm happy to have you. It's ha- I'm glad you're here. Congratulations on the book. When did the 14th of September Thank came out? It's been out for, what, like three months now, four months? Am I getting am I well, way yes, off? Well, it, yes. It actually came out on the 18th of September, which always ah. begs the question. Ah. But as, as I'm sure you know, and I had to learn, books come out on Tuesdays. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> so, and so, well, that's close enough. All right, so yes. it's been out for a few months. It's been out for a few months. Uh, we're going to get to that book, but uh, I said in the intro, you spent a long time uh, as uh, working as a professional, public relations. Uh, but my first question to you is, where was the novelist when you were running around relating to the public? Where was she? She was uh, the the novelist was under had taken her avocation undercover, <laughs> and oh, yeah, it yeah. was aspirational. Um, right. You know, it's like it started out that way, 
obviously. I used to put myself as a little girl into all the books that I was reading, write yeah. subplots, things like that. But I also was um, raised to be very practical, did not want to teach with my English degree, and public relations was a writing career. And when I got into that, I realized I was good at it. It was very creative, and it satisfied that urge for a very long time. Wait, wait, wait. Public relations is creative? Talk to me about that. Tell me why it's creative. It doesn't well, seem it, that way, it, but I've never done it, so what do I know? Well, it's it's very highly creative, and all those skills are what you end up using when you're marketing your book anyway, which right. is to basically figure out, all right, in this crowded marketplace, whatever it is, if you have a product or a service, how do we make yours come, you know, position yours so that the distinctiveness of it is apparent. Right. So That's, try to, yeah. com- you know, try to create a compelling interest and therefore action to take on that service or buy that product. Um, and those are exactly the same techniques you use when you're selling a book. Well, that's true. That's true. Right? And I had a client I worked with for a time who was trying to write more personal essays. And this is what he did for a living. He did it with people's websites, but that was basically mm-hmm. what he was there sort of. And so he would always, and that was kind of interesting, the overlap between what I was trying to teach him with personal essays and what he was doing. He was a very successful guy, he had his own business doing this thing but he would have this thing where he would sit down with the client and just you know do this long kind of interview to kind of figure out because they was hard sometimes for them to understand what was yeah saleable about their stuff right yeah what's the story mm-hmm. what's the story right and so they didn't have a story you had to kind of did you have to like draw it out of them oh absolutely you know it was just oh, yeah but, you know, there were certain things or certain things that a client felt like was, you know, was the more distinctive thing wasn't always, you know, you had to package it, you had to do this. Mm-hmm. Creativity is, you know, it's not just artistic. Creativity is in how you really just come out of the box around absolutely anything and right. try and, and get that 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 across you know so take away all your assumptions how do we this person is from mars how do we make that person from mars understand what it is we have to offer right and it's so it's an incredibly creative thing but it doesn't satisfy my writing hunger as well no there is you know there's no doubt about it uh you know there's the create i mean humans are just inherently creative it's just like like squirrels bury nuts, humans mm-hmm. make things. It's just what we do. But there is something about facing the blank page and saying, okay, I'm the client and the writer and everything. What do I want on that page? It's different than being given kind of an assignment. Yeah. Extremely different because you're creating the thing that you will eventually be taking to market. You know, so it's, <laughs> yeah. you are, you know, you're the whole ball of wax. <laughs> yes, you Nothing are coming to you from there, and that's where you know that's where you still are are s- story. So in in PR, you know, uh, I had a facility for writing. I had a very good um, eye for strategy and positioning and problem solving, and all of that was very useful to me. And sometimes, right. you know, it it helps in writing, just in the technical craft stuff, you know, and sequencing yeah. and and plotting yeah. and those kinds of things. But um, that's where they divide tremendously. And and the hunger for I never 
I knew I was good at it in the marketing side, but it was like I didn't fully appreciate it because I thought it was pretty easy. Whereas I think writing literature is the hardest thing in the world. Really? Now that you've done it. Wait a minute. So, but you used to think that maybe the writing was kind of easy if you just had the time to do it before you no, did it. No, I never, I never thought the creative writing, the literary writing was easy. I thought the marketing writing was easy. Uh, ah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, totally and we don't always value something even if we're good at it, if we don't, you know, in my mind. You know how I always, you know how Orson Welles would always look at writing? You know, he was this brilliant actor and director, yeah. and he could do everything. What he wasn't that good at was writing. And it just meant the most to him to have his, he used to fight with Makowitz to get his name up there as co-screenwriter, right. you know, because that was the thing that was hardest for him that he really valued the most. The other stuff was easier for him, you know. You know, it's interesting. I just saw, I was just watching a documentary about Orson Welles, now that you mention him, about his last movie he tried to make, yes. which didn't, which didn't get made, but right. they tried they released it anyway, and it was looked like a train wreck, frankly. But he wanted he wanted to make it all improvised. This was in mm-hmm. the '70s. But he said something interesting, which is he said, "I, you know, he was always looking for accidents. That mm. he felt that he wanted to. He was a he was a curator and purveyor and a curator of accidents. That that was his mm. job as an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I knew just what he meant. Mm-hmm. Um, does that resonate with, with you, the sort of the surprise, the thing you didn't expect that just ha- seems to happen, um, and you're there as a part of it? Does, does that make sense, both whether it was in Well, your- I'd, I'd, I'd have to frame that from my experience, because I think maybe coming out of the business world and just being raised by Scandinavians, you know, I'm very <laughs> orderly, orderly right. and practical. And yeah. um, and I think things through, and I actually had to undo a lot of that when yeah. I went from journalism into literary, because I would have in my mind what I thought was going to happen. And the yeah. there was a time when I finally broke through, and that was actually at a residency, at a writer's retreat, and I was there for four weeks, and I think it was three and a half weeks in, and then I just realized, oh, the reason I'm having such a hard time is that I'm, you know, I'm using a lot of things that happened in the past that really happened, and it's historical fiction. So I had the constraints right. of that, and I just had to let it go and not yeah. worry about what did happen. I had to worry about what could have happened, but not what right. did happen. And then that magical thing that I always felt like was like a literary urban myth you know, <laughs> happened where the characters started just uh, having lives of their own, uh, and I had to, I had to follow them more than try and drag them where I wanted them to go. Yeah. And that's when I became a writer of right. literary fiction as opposed to a journalist. Right. It was a big that's, moment. That's the difference. That's yes. the difference. And and it's and what's interesting, uh, Rita, is that I used to write fiction. I don't write it anymore. I write sort of memoir personal essay but strangely mm-hmm. the same process applies because although i don't have characters the idea or the where the thing is going is always not really up to me i right. see what comes forward i have memories like why am i remembering that and and mm-hmm. it, the memory almost becomes like a character and i have to just say well if it's there and it's that strong i got to follow it and uh those are your accidents 
That yeah, well that now, but I but having started in fiction, which is really where I spent mm-hmm. years, it mm-hmm. I, it's it's a complete crossover. It's yeah. all the same thing. You are listening. You're tuned right. in. You're being you're being surprised. It's critical to leave room for surprise. And so you did it, Rita. You you found the secret sauce. I love that the <laughs> urban myth. You're the first writer to describe it that way. Had you so you'd heard about it? Who had you heard about it from? This the well, myth of the characters. I think we've all heard that, haven't we? Didn't you hear? That? I don't know. Like, I, oh oh yes. If you're really a writer, then your characters sort of talk to you, and they'll take right. you wherever you're going. You're going. Oh please. You know, <laughs> you didn't then, believe it, huh? Oh, and then it, it actually happened and it didn't happen like turning on a switch and suddenly they all miraculously started arranging themselves in a 300 right. page novel. But I remember this particular character. I kept trying to make him more sympathetic and he just did not <laughs> want to go there. He you know, and it, just, it. it was like he put his foot down and said, that's another character, Rita. You know, that's not uh. me. And see, then I just applied all that to the other ones. See, uh, you know, so you know, I liken it to. Uh, I've heard uh, mediums. You know, not everybody likes a medium, but when I've heard mediums talk about what they do, I find it interesting because they'll talk about like I've, they say they've got to get their sort of uh, a, a mental uh, a vibration channel. to this. Yeah, yeah this, they to this get level where they own. where they can hear. The spirits, and I thought, man, that sounds so much like writing, because there's a that, frame of it. mind, right, where you can hear the characters or my or hear the inspired ideas, and there's a frame of mind where you can't. It's, and so it's you've like got a learn- zone. It's like a right. zone, and and That's the right. only time that was the first time I ever got in that was just after this isolation and total immersion that was so incredibly, incredibly hard, and then suddenly yeah. it was just like a, oh, I'm supposed to work not quite as hard. I'm supposed to let go a little bit. And That's then right. it sort of comes in. And then when you're in that, I always call it singing. You know, when, you're, Ooh, when your prose yeah. starts to sing, yeah. there's just Ooh, nothing like better in the world. It's like... No. It's, no, there it's, isn't. It's a high. It's, a, it it's an incredible, incredible high. And then it's like a, a drug. You know, you just want to keep getting back to that, but it's very unpredictable. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, and that's part of what makes it interesting is the surprise mm-hmm. of it. You know, it's mm-hmm. inter- I, I wrote this book called Fearless Writing, and, and it, it was uh, – at first I thought, well, I'm going to base it on these workshops I'm teaching. And I thought I can practically transcribe what I've been teaching. So I started doing that for like one day. I just started writing down the stories I would tell, and, and it bored me. I was like, I can't do this. So somehow mm-hmm. I've got to write about this stuff that I've been teaching for years differently. Mm-hmm. And I did. Mm-hmm. And it was – I could – you know, and I found new stuff to say about it. So without the surprise, I don't even know, you know, I might as well just be typing, you know. Well, then, then you have nothing new to say and somebody else yeah. said it in a different book, right? That's right. So That's right. You have, you have to have a reason to actually come out with something on a subject other people have covered in a different way. Otherwise, That's right. don't do it. That's right. That's right. And you have to be interested. And you were interested in uh, – actually, you were writing about a time – uh, yes. A lot of people have been writing about it. So campus life during the Vietnam, Vietnam War, when you, I assume, were a young woman going to school and all this was happening. Um, did that uh, did that time that time always burn bright in your mind? It did, um, uh, and nothing has burned as bright since then. Some of that is because when I was going through it, I understood that this was something. So, you know, I always obviously was a writer, even if I wasn't writing it down. I I was an observer. I understood that I was going through something 
that was unprecedented. I was going through it as a woman as opposed to, say, a 19-year-old potential drafty male. Um, And I was watching and witnessing amazing things. And I've always been interested in the subject of women in war. My mother was a World War II nurse, saw much more action than my father. And I always felt like the the distinction between men and women in wartime was not fair, you know, because it is the men who are on the line, um, but the women are in there exactly the same. Their their experiences won't be the same, but they're equally horrible. Grief has different definitions, (laughs) right? Right. And 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 it was just very very interesting to be there at this time of early feminism, understanding that this was something that was affecting the entire world and the entire generation, but having such a hard time being heard, which is what women were at the time, and I felt right. like there was a book in that, um, yeah. a story to be told that enveloped a lot of things. It was like, okay, what was a woman's experience in those days? So the intention of the book was to come up with a dilemma for my female character that would be every bit as emotionally intense and fraught as what confronted a you know, 19-year-old male draftee at the time and sure. see how those compared. You know, sort of a little bit about, you know, in in The Things They Carried, that wonderful book by Tim O'Brien. There's the chapter up a rainy river where he's in a rowboat heading for Canada, and he's weighing out whether I should go, whether I shouldn't go. And, And it's not a direct comparison, but I kept thinking, what would a woman do if she was the one in the boat? What's her version of what's her version of of going to Canada? Yes. To show that that it you know, again, it wouldn't be the same, but it would be equally fraught. And that was that's the objective of the fourteenth of September, which is why the title is actually the date that if you were number one in the draft lottery, December first, nineteen sixty nine, that was your birthday. But Uh, it's also uh, the birthday of my female character. Right. So with right. a flip of the chromosome coin, it could have gone either way. It would have been shaped. So that's what I'm trying to come across with that. So I'm gonna, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be teaching a class I love to teach, which is memoir writing. I do mm-hmm. like the personal narrative. And so the question I have is, why a fiction and not memoir? Right. Well, for for all of the reasons I'm sure you've heard your students tell you, is that fiction does not arrange itself in a nice, good compelling narrative arc, right? Or nonfiction you know, doesn't. Or it just, oh, I'm sorry, nonfiction. Real, Real life, life doesn't yeah. do that. No, Real life no it does not. not. They, no. It just doesn't confine itself to it. It'd yeah. be like, boy, if that, has, if that would have happened after that, wow. Right, right. You know, right. And, and also it's confining. That was what was confining to me. I mean, it, the story is really only loosely based at this stage of the game, because I have so highly fictionalized it that I actually have to right. think about whether something really happened or didn't. Um, <laughs> I, it's yeah. that bad. I know. I know. <laughs> and yep. you, um, and, and you know, you just got to a point where it was it was confining. I, I did that in that same residency. It was like I have to let go because real life is not letting me tell the real story that I yep. need to. 
um, yeah. and it's confining me. And and I had originally, like once I had tried to write a memoir about my mother's experiences in World War II, and I had done it just before this, and I had the same problem. It was like not only were there gaps in her memory, but there were things that just never entered her memory in the first place. Yeah. That would have entered mine. You know, I'd be like, okay, yeah. you're in this tent, you're operating. What did you feel? And, of course, she's a Scandinavian military nurse. She's going, feelings are not the issue. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and I so, thought, oh, okay, I can't pry it yeah. out of your head because it wasn't in there in the first place, you know. Well, you know what's interesting so, is, I t- this is funny you mention that, is that one of the things I tell my memoir students is nobody cares what happened to you. They only care what it felt like when something was happening to you. That the oh, that the, all, the only currency is feeling. The rest of it's mm-hmm. just window dressing. And so she'd exactly. be a tough a tough person to try to write a story about if she's not going to admit she was feeling something because she was. Everybody was. Right, Everybody but always. it's not something that she was going to either a share or b remember. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you know, and, and she didn't want the story told. So then when I right. was trying to do this, it never occurred to me to make this a memoir because I had just gone through all of that. And I thought, oh, my God. But I was still like I was writing, I guess, was a really kind of a hybrid is that I wanted so much to use things that really happened. And I and as time went by, because it took me a very long time to write this book because I started a business and a book at the same time something I would never recommend, by the way. But but as time went by, I basically just let go of so much that really happened and replaced it with things that were based in reality but amplified for their narrative and fictional punch, you know. Right. And and it got to the point where there are, you know, there are some pieces and parts of real characters in there, but there is one character in there that is the one that is going to break your heart if you read through it and I made him up totally. Right. right. You know, so cuz I need the story needed him. <laughs> but you know, it's a funny thing when you make someone up uh quote unquote cuz I mean when I was writing fiction I made everybody up, but mm-hmm. They felt real to me. I always felt like they came oh, yeah. from some aspect of myself that mm-hmm. I was just exaggerating, you know? Does that make sense? Well, exactly. And, you know, when I – this particular character has terrible things that happen to him, and every time I read it, I cry. And uh, when I try and do in a reading, there are times when I have to be careful because I'll choke up. Right. You know? <laughs> and it's, and yeah. this is the fictional person. This is somebody yeah. that didn't exist, yeah. but I gave him a dilemma that I could just totally get into, you know, so yeah. hopefully the That's reader great. will feel the same way. Well, if you choked yourself up, you did something right, Rita. At we least know for me, you... right? <laughs> well, that's what, you want to make yourself laugh, yourself cry, yourself scared. You really, you're, you're the first audience member, and so you should be excited, surprised, moved, um, all those things, because uh, if you're not, eh, chances are the readers won't be. So good, good on you. You must have found tapped into something real there, is my guess. Uh, yes. I mean, hopefully, hopefully that was. The no, idea. don't say hopefully. You just did. You just did. Whether well, other people okay. now, who knows I, if other people will read? You never know without how many yeah. people resonate with. But for you, it was real. That's. Well, and I'm finding, I would say, to to make up for that moment of, you know, 
of doubt. It wasn't really doubt. It was just sort of, you know, wanting to be humble. I would just say that since it's been out, it's actually, it's resonating with a lot more people than not. Great. And, and I think when you send a book out, you know, that's like being naked in the, in the football stadium. Yeah. And, you know, you just have to sort of let it go. And I'm gratified that people, that the only people that don't seem to relate to it are the people that for which that subject matter is just not of interest at all. Right. And, you know, and that's okay. Um, But they like that it's written well. They feel the characters are good. You know, the story is good. It's just not a time frame that they're all that interested in. Right. And we all have that. Yeah, well, that was my other question to you. So, okay, book's out now, and people are reading it, and you've been done, done bookstore appearances and readings, et cetera. And so what is that like now that you're an author and now that people are reading your stuff and have all their own opinions about it? What's that like? What do you oh, think of that? Oh, it's so much fun. It's so much like fun. like it? I mean, yeah. I was writing it for so long and thinking about it for so long. I mean, if I put together the experiences that led to it, thinking about it, writing it, marketing it, all this stuff. It's taken up like three quarters of my life. But there were so wow. many years where it was just like, I just want to talk about it because it is a, <laughs> it's, I want to talk about it and I want to sign my book, Lovely Rita. You know, I think no. I thought of doing that like 20 years ago. <laughs> and I'm doing it now and it feels right. And the, right. Um, but it's a, it's a, it, I always felt like it was a very good discussion book because it's about, yeah. you know, it's about the sexes. It's about uh, war. It's about war at home. It's about college life. It's about mother, daughter, girlfriends, boyfriend, you know, first love. It's got everything in there. Yeah. And every time I've had about 20 events and I would say that different people are interested in different things to talk about. Sometimes they right. zero right on in the lottery and they all tell their lottery stories. Right. And other times it's, oh, my goodness, you know, how did this generation gap happen with this World War II nurse and this Vietnam, you know, daughter? Because usually you see that conflict with men, fathers right. and sons. Sure. So this is a conflict with a mother and a daughter over yep. war. Think about that. Yeah. Have you ever read anything like that? No. You know, no. it's a, there are very few books about Vietnam from a woman's point of view, but also the war through the generations. I'm very interested in how huge events trickle down through generations. Yeah. And how, whether it's events, whether it's behavior, all of those things, and, and how you can or cannot stop the cycle, the hamster wheel of history. Well, how you that's cannot what war stop. War is. War is, war is, is a big part of the hamster wheel of history. Well, and the how, hamster wheel of history is if we don't learn from it and change it, we're just going to yeah. be that hamster over and over yeah. and over again, which is, you know, we're learning that. This is, you know, we're working on 50 years after Vietnam. I know. And look what we're dealing with today. I, you, know? I, you have to say, I, we don't have much time, but I, was, I, I think about it every once in a while when I see what we're going through right now in this country, that we're still having the argument that started at that time, it wasn't just over the Vietnam War, but it was over all the schism between the old way of doing things and the new right. way. It's, and it's hard to change. we're still having that conversation. It's very, very hard to change. And, and if we yeah. don't, we'll just kept, continue to have it for the next generation and the next generation. And yeah, no, I think one of the fortunate things is that 
Vietnam suddenly, after all these years of writing it, is in the zeitgeist again. Thank God for Ken Burns, right? And well, that wonderful, did, yeah, yeah, wonderful PBS job. Vietnam War. And then Spielberg comes out with the post, and even This Is Us, you know, that TV show is doing yeah, our that's about it Vietnam too. That's War. right. Yeah. And they did an episode on the lottery. And it's this is now, you know, it's now okay for us to look back and not only feel bad about that war. Now we can dispassionately look at it a little bit more and learn from it. Well, I interviewed Carl Marlantes, who wrote the book Matterhorn, which yeah. was a big, beautiful book. I interviewed him right, right when it came out. And, and that was fascinating because he couldn't. It took him twenty years to publish that book. No one would publish it, right? Because right. no one wanted to hear about the Vietnam War. And, then and he was finally, a combat soldier. Um, he was, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think you know, after big events like that, you always get stories that are by the people who wrote it, and they're very visceral. They're from here yeah. to eternity. They're apocalypse yeah, yeah. now. They're things like that. Now it's like, but the other hand, like look at World War II, 70 years out, they come out with a book that's called The Zookeeper's Wife. And you're like, how many more angles could you possibly come <laughs> up with on World War II that are really still interesting? We haven't yeah. even scratched the surface on Vietnam. Yeah, no, there it's true. Well, but you, from. now you have. Yes. You, you've scratched a little voice. deeper, Rita. Mm-hmm. You found mm-hmm. another I side of it. I gouged it just a tad. <laughs> just a tad. Well, that's good. That's what more can you do. Well, Rita, uh, I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. We're not done with it yet, but uh, we're getting close to the end. Before I ask you my last question, if people want to like, come see you speak or just learn about you, where's the best place to find out about Rita Dragonette? Well, and it's very easy is to just go to RitaDragonette.com, and dragon is spelled just like a little dragon, D-R-A-G-O-N-E-T-T-E. I just came off of 20 events. I've got one next week, but I'm starting again in January, and the whole event schedule will be right there. And uh, that's the easiest way. It's a robust uh, website because I'm a marketer, remember? So everything... Everything, every interview, every everything you need to know about me is there and easy for you to find. All right. RitaDragonet.com. Go there, people. Okay. So, Rita, one last question for you. If you've listened to my interviews, you know what this question is. So maybe you have an answer prepared for me. If not, just wing it. Oh, dear. If, finish oh, dear. this sentence. Finish this sentence. If, if Ryan has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Mm. That working harder isn't necessarily the only way to survive. Ooh. Oh, I, How's that? I, I love that. I hate hard work. I'm no good at it. Well, it, <laughs> yes, but if you're, again, if you're raised by Scandinavians, you feel know, like that's yeah. the only route, and yeah, it's not. No. No. <laughs> no, I call writing the search for the effortless path. Oh, well, there, yeah. see, there you go. There that's you go. Right. And I would have previously said, and you've got to just keep, you know, pushing yeah, and chop. pushing. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's better yeah. if you just let back, sit back and try and figure out how to let some of it just happen. Uh, that, amen. Good you learned it. Doesn't matter when. Just got to learn it eventually. Well, good lesson. Good conversation, Rita. The book is the 14th of September. Good luck or have fun promoting it, and I, I hope you write another one. <laughs> it's underway right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> good, good for you. All right, take it easy, Rita. Thank you so much, Bill. All right. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. I'll be back again next week with a fellow by the name of John Pavlovitz. Uh, I want to thank my fabulous producer, Mr. R.J. Jeffries. And uh, until next time, go do something you love. 